since September of 2020, we've tracked more than 50 CEOs talking about executive engagement and the value of it on their own earnings calls and how they are really making it more of a strategic initiative and doing things like just this week, Cognizant CEO talked about how they're repositioning their brand to appeal to CXO customers. They're trying to be more relevant to that entire C-suite so they can develop those relationships. Anna Plans CEO announced last week that they are launching a new virtual experience designed to engage CXOs. Hello and welcome. I'm Rob Levitt and this is C-Suite Marketing. Today's episode is a conversation with Sharon Gillenwater, founder and CEO of Boardroom Insiders. Sharon and Boardroom Insiders have sponsored this podcast from the very beginning last year, and I wanted to talk with her now for our 20th episode to get her perspective on the dramatic changes that we've seen with CXOs and with executive engagement over this incredible past year. Sharon told me when we were just getting started that we've entered a golden age for executive engagement. And I think that has proven true over the past year. The companies that we work with and the guests on this podcast have all leaned into creative new approaches and generated great success in building and strengthening C-suite relationships since the pandemic began. And as Sharon explains, CEOs and others in the C-suite themselves are now touting the importance and value of executive engagement. In many ways, though, the challenges are just as great as ever. So our conversation talked about those challenges as well as the successes that we're seeing. And one of the most important things we discussed is keeping up with the pace of change, the rapid shifts in CXO priorities, in the faster planning cycles that executives are now leading, all of which underline the importance of investing in and strengthening our executive engagement approaches. C-Suite Marketing, once again, is sponsored by Boardroom Insiders, a business intelligence platform that makes executive engagement easier than ever. Learn more at boardroominsiders.com. Learn more about this podcast and all the work we do on executive engagement, ABM, thought leadership, and other B2B marketing issues at itsma.com. And please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And now for today's show. Sharon, hi there. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have this conversation. You guys have been such generous sponsors and supporters and partners of ITSMA, um, but you are a true expert. And so in that capacity, um, I want to talk about executive engagement and what you're seeing. And right away, I, I have been struck. I think I've even used this phrase maybe on the podcast, but you said to me, some months back that we're in a golden age for executive engagement. So Sharon, what do you mean by that? Well, um, COVID-19, as we know, changed a lot. And one of the things that it did is it made executive engagement a critical must do 
as opposed to a nice to have, which it was previously. It also became a lot easier because the C-suite was captive in their homes for quite some time. And so they had more time to connect and they became more accessible to each other. And one reason they became more accessible to each other is it became a top priority for CXOs to connect with their peers, um, with their customers, their suppliers, and their partners, because it was part of their own business continuity plan. They had to figure out how all of those stakeholders were doing and what they were doing in order to be able to assess COVID's impact on their business and how they were going to respond. That said, once these CXOs started connecting more frequently, they started to see tremendous business value from it. And we know this because we've heard them talk about it in earnings calls and interviews. So they found it a great experience, really enjoyable. They built some fantastic relationships and they started to see real business value for making these connections in terms of helping to figure out how to respond to COVID based on what they were hearing, best practices, but also sales, <laughs> closing right. deals with these um, customers and prospects that they were connecting with. Interesting. And I, I think what you're saying is that executives have always been great networkers and they always lean on their peers. I mean, this is that's not new, right. but the crisis that we've went through and are still going through in a lot of ways. I think what you're saying, Sharon, is that this was a substantial step forward in making it more of an organized priority. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, you know, this is a story we've heard over and over again from CXOs on their earnings calls and in yeah. interviews. And um, we even have seen some companies take what they've started with you know having these more frequent meetings between executives and try to wrap a program around it or some kind of virtual experience or event if you will and those kinds of experiences have been popping up because the fact of the matter is a lot of these cxos even though some have started to travel a lot of them do remain at home and some of them have said, well, why should I spend all this time on airplanes going to have one meeting when I can accomplish 10 meetings in the amount of time I would be traveling? Right. So it, it's a fabulous complement to what we've been seeing on the marketing and sales side for the companies that you know both Boardroom Insiders and ITS may work with every day, where our clients and our members have been investing more and more in executive engagement programs in recent years. And all of a sudden, I think we're, we're pushing on a more open door. I think that's true. We've really been tracking this pretty closely at Boardroom Insiders. And it's, it's very new that you see CEOs in particular talking about this. Since September of 2020, we've tracked more than 50 CEOs talking about executive engagement and the value of it on their own earnings calls and how they are really making it more of a strategic initiative and doing things like just this week, Cognizant CEO talked about how they're repositioning their brand to appeal to CXO customers. They're trying to be more relevant to that entire C-suite so they can develop those relationships. Anna Plans CEO announced last week that they are launching a new virtual experience designed to engage CXOs. 
because they had so much success with these kind of ad hoc conversations and they wanted to make it more uh, programmatic. So those are the types of things we're hearing CXOs talk about on earnings calls. Um, ServiceNow's CEO said that after COVID hit, their executive briefings went up 70%. So there's data out there about how effective this is. And um, they wouldn't be talking about it if it weren't delivering some real business impact. Well, I think that's the thing. And so what we're what we're hoping, I, I know you are as well, is that the marketing and sales leaders that we work with every day have even more support from their own C-suite. Because as you say, CEOs, it's not just CMOs talking about it now. CEOs are talking about it, CFOs, COOs are talking about the importance of executive engagement, the importance of that peer networking, learning from their peers. I love hearing those examples. And it actually leads me to another question, Sharon, because you know, on this podcast, we talk all the time about the importance of data and insight to really understand the executives that we're trying to reach. And that's what Boardroom Insiders is all about. But one of the things that you always stress is the importance of the in their own words data that yes. you're collecting. And, and you've just given us a couple of little examples, but why is that so important? Why is the in their own words so important? It's, it's important um, because it gives you the most powerful hook you can probably have to get your foot in the door and then have a relevant conversation. And when I mean relevant, I mean relevant to the people you're trying to sell and market to. Um, it happens so rarely. I mean, if you, I, I buy goods and services all the time for my company, and I can probably count on one hand over 12 years the number of times someone has come to me and said, hey, I read you said this, you mentioned this. Um, I think I could help you with that. And so it's very rarely done, surprisingly, because it's common sense. But, you know, and here with these CXOs, you have a rich repository of information in most cases, especially if the companies are public, you can read what the CEO has said on an earnings call, or you might be able to read an interview. And getting back to them and saying, hey, I saw you said this, or if it's not the CEO, hey, I saw your CEO recently said this, I can help you with this. We've done this for X, Y, and Z competitor it's almost impossible for them to ignore you. Right. <laughs> if they say, or if their boss or their CEO says, this is our focus, and you come to them and offer them something that could help them with that, it's their job to really check it out. And we've seen it over and over again with our customers. They'll say, oh my gosh, you know, I was trying to get in with the CIO for two years and I just took this little bit of information that you provided and I mentioned it in email, he got back to me in five minutes. So we hear those stories all the time. So the reason why it's important is because it's effective, it works. And it also helps to establish some credibility and goodwill with the person you're trying to reach because they see that you've taken the time to learn something about them and and do some homework and you're not just making it about you and your great product. It also might make your job a little bit easier because if you know exactly what they're focused on, you don't have to boil the ocean with presenting everything that you have to offer. You can just really focus in on by you know, connecting the dots between what they said and what you're offering and present something that's really targeted and relevant. 
Yeah, and I think there's a really important nuance here because, you know, we do a huge amount of work with ABM programs and we're constantly stressing, do the research, do your homework, understand the priorities. But I think to your point, there's a big difference between seeing that company X is migrating to the cloud. It's like, oh, that's a priority. And the difference is seeing the CIO talk about in his or her own words, they're moving to a hybrid cloud strategy because, 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 and, you know, that kind of richness and detail and nuance, um, I think, can make you so much more effective because, you know, one company moving to the cloud is not the same as another company moving to the cloud. So when you aggregate it, you lose some of that ability to really personalize. That's a great point. In fact, <laughs> what yeah. company isn't moving to the cloud, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> right. It's like one company's strategy is not the same as another, or they're, they're not using the same vendors. I was just reading one of our profiles yesterday, and it was about a big cloud initiative, but the um, one of the executives went on to say the next chapter for us is all about artificial intelligence. And, you know, he, he went into some real detail about what they were going to do there. So think of, you know, if you are selling artificial intelligence solutions, what a great hook that little quote could be for you to, um, you know, throw into any an email you send to anybody at that company. And, you know, what's really interesting, and I, I consulted with lots of companies over the years. You can't assume that the person that you are speaking with even knows what their own CEO said. It's kind of hard to believe, but you know, they're very focused on a little sliver. And you know, if you're dealing with someone lower down the chain, and it can be great for you to go and tell them what their own boss says, because that's going to make them look smarter as well. And it's going to make them think like, oh my gosh, I better bone up on this <laughs> and, yeah. you know, that I understand what's going on because I didn't know they said this. That has happened to me many times. Now, that's great. And, you know, our, our actually recent episode of the podcast where I talked with um, uh, two women from Fujitsu about a program that they're running called CXO Speaks, and they're doing interviews with CEOs from some of their largest customers. And one of the reasons the CEOs want to go on to this external platform is to talk to their own employees. Because I think, you know, as you say, you know, big companies, you don't know what your CFO or CEO or COO is saying all the time. And I think there is real power to that. So let me keep on this thread though, because one of the biggest challenges marketers have been facing over the past year is just keeping up with the fast changing priorities for the CXOs in the accounts that they really care about. And, you know, you've been tracking this for, I mean, again, it's what the company does and you've got some very powerful tools and capabilities to do this. Um, what are some of the shifts you've been seeing? Because I know we've talked in the past about how quickly some companies moved from you know, reacting to the pandemic into other directions. Yes, well, there are a lot of shifts that are pretty cliche now and obvious, right? Acceleration of digital initiatives. Everybody knows that that's happening. Um, 
trying to figure out what the future of work looks like in your real estate footprint. That's pretty obvious. Um, an, an intense focus on um, diversity and all kinds of ESG initiatives with all the crisis and mental health issues that everyone's been having. So those are the obvious ones that we've all heard about. And I'm always interested in what are the ones that are maybe a little less obvious or unexpected or not talked about as much. So um, one of them is uh, COVID has really caused a lot of companies to really change their business in profound and perhaps permanent ways. So, for example, the CEO of Disney has talked about um, how the pandemic and being closed, you know, having the theme parks closed down has given them an opportunity to completely reset and rethink how they manage supply and demand when it comes to their park capacity. And they're doing some interesting things this summer mm -hmm. with limiting capacity and making, you know, advanced reservations. So they're really taking a look at, you know, is there a better way for us to redo this and, and reset. Lots of companies are transforming their business models in different ways. So formerly B2B only companies like Cisco, not, not the networking company, but the food, they started um, looking at ways that they could sell directly to supermarkets and consumers and actually help by stocking supermarket shelves when supermarkets were having a hard time with that and looking at that, maybe making that a permanent thing. Other B2B companies have changed their distribution models by launching robust kind of e-commerce channels where none existed before because it was, you know, kind of a legacy brick and mortar distribution. I'm talking about like companies like Caterpillar or John Deere, big equipment companies. So there's the business model transformation aspect of it. And then there's also the business portfolio transformation aspect. Some companies like Coca-Cola have decided they're going to really just cut out a lot of SKUs and brands and really focus in on that's what the, the essential brands, you know, that have more promise or other companies are selling off parts of their business that they feel um, do not have a great future in this new mostly digital, mostly virtual world. So we're seeing a lot of that. And then um, one, one of my favorites, because I find it really exciting, is you have companies who were pretty well positioned digitally when the pandemic hit, and they went really aggressively into a mode where they were just trying to grab market share in an environment where digital mattered more. Um, from their competitors who were not as digitally enabled. So you, you see a lot of that too, which is interesting. Yeah, oh, very interesting. And, uh, you know, related, I think one of the things you've talked about as well is that, you know, not only are we seeing some of these quite substantial shifts in strategy uh, and focus, um, again, you know, not new, but maybe accelerated dramatically over the past year, you also said to me recently that you're seeing faster planning cycles uh, in the C-suite. So, you know, what are you seeing and what might that mean for us on the marketing and selling side when we're trying to reach CXOs? Yes, well, faster planning cycles became the norm. <laughs> Companies had to learn how to plan faster and pivot and, and address um, all kinds of crises. And so they learned how to do it. They learned how to get it done. They broke down silos. A lot of them formed these little 
um, teams that would meet weekly that were cross-functional teams. And they really figured out how to innovate, collaborate, and get products to market faster. And so the C-suite is looking at that saying, well, how can we keep this going um, after this crisis is over? We want to hold on to these benefits. And so that's what they're really looking at and talking about. And so what goes along with that is how they can plan faster. So recently, um, and unfortunately, I don't remember what company it was, but I saw um, how one company was instructing their executives, their executive leadership team to really execute against five objectives and set five objectives for their organization or their business. And they wanted three of those to be long-term. And they wanted two of them to really deal with a horizon of about three to six months. Hmm. And they were, they were really trying to figure out, you know, can we balance the long-term strategic planning with more short-term, um, quick time-to-value initiatives? And that's a term we hear or we see a lot in these earnings calls is time-to-value. That became really important during COVID, particularly with technology solutions, because they didn't have time to deploy something for six months. You know, they needed it up and running and they needed to see the value right away. So I think in terms of what marketers can do, again, they need to keep up with what the initiatives and priorities are of their most important accounts. And then they need to frame their solutions, I think in that, um, through that lens of time to value, because I think, you know, it became important during COVID, but once you've experienced such quick time to value with solutions, you don't have the tolerance for these deployment cycles. Yeah, I I think that's a really important point. It's it's not only keeping up with the changing priorities, but it's really thinking differently about value propositions, essentially. And, um, you know, this is, again, this is not a new issue. You know, understand what value is for the individual clients, the individual executives, because it's not just the capabilities of your solution. You know, it may be how you deliver, how you manage, how you deploy, how you finance, all of those other things. And so if time to value is becoming much, much more critical, then that needs to be front and center. I almost wonder if time to value is the new ROI, because I haven't been hearing a lot of talk about ROI lately. But Interesting. Interesting. How quickly can you get up, get it up and running? And what's the value to the business, whether it's cost savings, whether it's the ability to provide a better customer experience, whether it drives revenue, there are all different ways that a solution can benefit the business. It's not necessarily a hard ROI metric. Right, right. All right. So Sharon, this is, um, you know, not a, a commercial announcement about the Boardroom Insiders platform fabulous as it is, because I'm happy to promote it. Um, but I'm curious, you know, you're sort of rattling off all these great examples and rich examples. Give us a sense of how you use your own platform. You know, what's a day in the life as you are trying to understand changing priorities and what's important and what the issues are? Well, we use it to drive our own thought leadership content strategy. Mm. So, Um, One of the things that we do is we produce some premium pieces of content 
that are just lists of executives. So we'll produce an annual CIO list for the Fortune 500, CEO list. And we just recently produced a list of 250 of the top CISOs, Chief Information Security Officers in the country. And so whenever we do a list like that, we like to add a little bit of value by um, giving customers some insight into, well, what, what do all these people have in common across the group? What are the most common concerns and initiatives across the group? Who are they most connected to? And so we use BI Pro to just you know, create an audience segment containing those 250 CISOs. And then we take a look at the high level data. How many are men? How many are women? What countries are they from? Where did they used to work? You know, a lot of them came up through the military and government agencies, for example. If you're a marketer and you have one of your executives who had a 25 year military career, Maybe even though that's not your security chief, maybe that's the person who should be socializing with these people because they have something in common. So that's one way we, we use it is just to surface insight that we can package up with these lists of executives and put out as premium content. And then another way we use it is we use it to track our own customers and their priorities. We have one person on our team who just scans our own customers' earnings calls and interviews for insight so that we can use as sales triggers to pick up the phone and give them a call. And he you know, incorporates all that great content into our profiles. He elevates it to our sales team. And then we look across our own group of customers to, tr to track you know, how prominent is executive engagement or ABM or land and expand or overhauling their go-to-market strategy. How prominent are those types of initiatives across our own customer base? Oh, that's great. Um, and I should say, and here is a slight commercial announcement, but it's free. Sharon, we collaborated recently, ITSMA and Boardroom Insiders, to produce a CXO priorities dashboard, leveraging uh, all of the incredible data and the capabilities of BI Pro, as you say. So folks can go to either of our websites and look for this uh, dashboard. The first edition came out late May, and you'll see some interesting top priorities across the Fortune 500. And we looked at a couple of different roles, a couple of different industries. So uh, we would love your feedback. Check that out uh, as well. And, you know, I, Sharon, I noticed an email from you about the Chief Information Security Officers, which is obviously a very hot topic these days. We're recording in early June you know, with some of the hacks going on and the ransomware issues and, and all of that. And, you know, the ability to go in and literally not only see who the most important people are, what their backgrounds are, as you say, what some of the connections are, but how they're talking about it, you know, back to the in their own words. And, you know, well, that's one of the things I love about your platform is you can click from top priority to what are, what are actual people saying about this right now? Well, that, yeah, we haven't even gotten into the whole um, <laughs> cybersecurity maelstrom and talk about yeah. being relevant to the C-suite. I mean, you have, this is a board level issue, you know, because it's a governance issue and it's a survival issue. So it is relevant across the C-suite all the way up to the board. But here's the conundrum with this. Nobody really wants to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> because right. they don't really want to talk about their cyber readiness, because that could reveal something that's not so great. They don't 
want to talk about what they're doing because the hackers could leverage that in some way. But what's really interesting is the lack of questions to the CEOs on earnings calls about it. I think the analysts, you know, they are really looking at financial stuff for the most part, but given what a huge issue this is and how devastating it can be to a company, they should be asking CEOs about this, particularly the ones that were on the SolarWinds customer list, but they are not asking. They are really not asking because we have been we have been watching this very carefully. Yeah. And the only companies that seem to be talking a lot about cybersecurity are the cybersecurity vendors, of course. Right. What what they are saying is they are being pulled in by the C level at many companies. They're talking to boards, they're talking to CISOs, they're talking to CIOs, CTOs, and even CEOs. So these conversations are happening. But you know, if there is one weakness of BI Pro, yeah. it is focused on in their own words. And if they're not talking about it, it's not getting captured, but it's really not getting captured anywhere. So that's where you might want to combine what we do with some kind of you know, purchasing intent mm-hmm. platform where you can maybe uncover some of that information without having to hear people say something about it. But I really wish the analysts would do a better job and bring that up in the earnings calls. I do want to ask you about a different kind of challenge. A lot of the companies that we work with that are investing in C-suite marketing and executive engagement programs struggle with how, you know, first of all, they need to get the data and insight, which is not, you know, I mean, you guys, your platform makes it much easier than it otherwise is. A lot of basic digital data doesn't get at the granular, you know, richness of, of, uh, of what you do. But, but that's step one. The next step is how do you manage and share that data and insight across the organization? I know we've swapped stories about, uh, you know, data being buried in a sales enablement group and the marketing people don't have it or the marketing people don't get it over to the sales teams. You know, I'm curious, you work with a lot of marketing and sales organizations. What are you seeing that's effective? Any, you know, advice you might give to program leaders that are struggling with this data management and sharing issue? Well, there's no silver bullet for sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, the, the companies that we've seen do a good job with adoption and acceleration across the enterprise um, tend to start small and get a few quick wins and then really socialize that across the organization, which takes a lot of hard work. I mean, the calendaring alone is, is daunting. Right, right. right. <laughs> people, you know, to pay attention. Um, so getting those wins and socializing them. We've seen some interesting things done with attribution. So um, we've had one customer that has imported a lot of our information into the CRM. We do have an API, but they've, they've um, you know, attached profiles of executives to certain company records. And then they compare like customers who had that executive engagement data with others that did not. And they have determined that it really does accelerate deals and also increase deal size. So I think you you have to be able to prove that success in some way to get people really excited about it. 
and then get them using it. I think one, one of the things that we've seen is through that kind of socialization is it just starts to catch fire. And one of the things we're looking at as a company is how much do we do in EMEA and APAC and other regions? Because those regions, if it's a US-based company, they tend to be a little bit starved for resources. And once they find out that they have an enterprise license to boardroom insiders, they really want that information. They want the information for the companies in their region. So, um, and where that's happened, it's been because of this socialization. Let's see, what else can I tell you about that? No, no magic bullets though. Yeah, there's no magic bullets. <laughs> it's with any of this stuff. I mean, I think this is why our customers like the platform because they know there's no magic bullet. You have to read the information. It has to be pulled together by human beings. Platforms where you're just scraping a bunch of stuff and dumping it in the customer's lap, that's just not sustainable because they have to go through it all, figure out. It also has to be re-verified. They don't know how current it is. So we take that on. Um, we have a lot of features within our platform where content can be exported either into a spreadsheet format or as a more attractive formatted PDF so that it could be shared with people within the organization, even if they don't have a, a seat to our, our platform. It can be shared easily just with a few clicks. So we've tried to build that in. But then there's the challenge of somebody has to tell them what this thing is that they're receiving and why they should care. So right, that's where right. heavy lifting comes in on the customer side, you know, explaining what they're looking at and, and what to do with it. And I think we've talked about this in the past that in the marketing world, there's a real spectrum. You know, some people have a lot of experience knowing what to do with this kind of information and others are just more new to this, you know, executive engagement piece and are trying to figure out what are the use cases? How do I use this thing? So we try to share a lot of that information too, as, and I know you do as well. Yeah, great. All right. Hey, Sharon, thank you. We have just maybe a minute left. I'm, I'm curious, more personally, I guess, as you look ahead over the next couple of months, what are some of the things that you're digging into that you're looking at or looking for in this kind of changing CXO priorities landscape? Well, we talked about whether some of the things that we saw are going to be permanent. And that's what I'm really interested to see. There's just no way of knowing. When COVID hit back in March, 2020, my directive to our team was like, let's not really cover this too much because I don't think it's going to last very long. <laughs> <laughs> that just seems adorable now, right? No, you were in good company though. <laughs> and you know that was completely wrong. And of course, we've covered it hugely to the point where for a while, it kind of took over our dashboard. You know, we had two columns of COVID-related initiatives. Um, and so I think what's going to be really interesting to me is what is permanent. So if you're talking about returning to the office, is work going to be completely changed forever? Or are we going to kind of like drift back into the office the way things were before? Who knows? Um, also with the ESG initiatives, how much is that going to stick? Because we've seen in the past, you know, it kind of start to get talked about and then there's like a downturn and then everybody kind of deprioritizes it. So is that here to stay? I think one encouraging sign is the business roundtable and, and, you know, CEOs all over the place are really putting in place 
metrics so that it can be measured, that's a good sign. So that's another question. And then just continuing to see the innovation that has taken hold and if that's going to continue and you know the new business models that are coming out of this and the new products and services, it's all really interesting. I, if I had to guess, I don't, I don't think we're gonna return to the same normal as things settle down. There's just been too much, um, you know, upside to come out of this time in terms of innovation and collaboration and efficiency and digitization. Well, that's a great note to end on, Sharon. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed the conversation and uh, we will have you back soon. All right. Well, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Please let me know what you think and if you have any suggestions about other guests or other topics that we should consider for future podcast conversations. Check out other episodes of C-Suite Marketing on itsma.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks once again to our sponsor, Boardroom Insiders. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.